I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and open to Mark chapter 3. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 3. We'll be looking today at verses 20 through 35. Mark 3, 20 through 35. When you have located that, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And he called them to himself, and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Father, we believe this is your very word spoken to us, divinely inspired and profitable for our own spiritual good. So we plead with you today, Lord, please to teach us. Oh God, speak clearly to your people. Let us understand what it is that you're trying to communicate to us by your Spirit, open our minds, our hearts, our eyes, our ears to receive divine truth. Change us by the truth of your Word. Transform us, God, by the renewing of our minds. Do this miracle work of God in us through the preaching of your Word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Let me remind you quickly of the context of Mark. We've been studying Mark for... Basically, since the beginning of the year, Jesus came on the scene preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He called His first disciples and began to do mighty works and speak with great authority, casting out demons, healing people. And His popularity began to grow. And as that happened, there began to arise controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders, Pharisees, 
And they had controversy over the forgiveness of sins and over fasting. And last week you saw controversy over the Sabbath. And Jesus is establishing himself as the one who has come to usher in God's kingdom, to begin the new covenant God has promised to make with his people. And he's established himself as the one with authority. And now what's beginning to happen is a line is being drawn. A distinction is developing that will help us to see clearly who are the disciples of Jesus and who are not true disciples of Jesus. The opposition of Jesus and those who follow him are going to become clearer and clearer. The distinction between those who are on the inside of the kingdom and those who are on the outside of the kingdom is becoming more and more obvious. And as that happens, as Jesus makes it clearer and clearer who's in and who's not in, the hostility is going to get even worse. And what we see as we look at these verses we have before us today, is we see Jesus begin to make this distinction. We see Jesus identify who's in and who's out. We see Jesus tell us who really is and who really isn't a disciple, a follower. Now, here's what I want you to see. If I were going to summarize these verses in one sentence, this is the way I'd do it. Only those who see Jesus for who He really is and follow Him are forgiven of sin and made part of His family. I want to say that again. I don't want you to miss it. Only those who see Jesus for who He really is and follow Him are forgiven of sin and made part of His family. Now, I want to show you that by making two observations from this text. We have two different groups who give their evaluation of Jesus in these verses we read. Two different groups who say what they think about Jesus. We have his family and we have the religious folk from Jerusalem who are his enemies. You might say his family and his foes both tell us what their thoughts are about Jesus here. And we learn some very, very important lessons about seeing the real Jesus and what that has to, to what the implications of that are for who's really in the kingdom and who really isn't. Now, here's the first lesson I want you to learn. Those who refuse to believe the truth about Jesus will never have forgiveness. But those who do believe have total forgiveness. I'll say that again. Those who refuse to believe the truth about Jesus will never have forgiveness, but those who do believe have total forgiveness. People who continually, purposefully reject and deny the reality of who Jesus is will never find forgiveness of their sins. People who hear the reality of Jesus and they embrace it and believe it, those people 
have total forgiveness. I want you to look with me what we're told in verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. So far, the opposition of Jesus has been Pharisees in the region of Galilee. If you remember, Jesus is in the northern part of Israel in Galilee. And so far, his opposition has been from the Pharisees in that area. But now, a delegation from Jerusalem, about a hundred miles south, has come to Galilee to see this Jesus and to express official opposition against Jesus. You see, they've heard about Jesus. The religious elite, we might call the, the, the religious folk of the day, are troubled by this Jesus. Because He's saying things that go against them and their tradition. And they're worried about losing their authority and their power. And so they have to oppose Jesus. So an official delegation of religious experts, scribes, has come to oppose Jesus, to try to turn people away from following Him, from believing in Him. How do they do it? They say He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, Satan. Here's the thing. They could not deny the supernatural power of Jesus. Nobody could deny His power. There had been hundreds and thousands of witnesses as He cast out demons publicly. There had been thousands of people who watched Him heal. They could not deny His power. It was supernatural. It was not earthly. It was a spiritual power. And they knew it could only come from one of two sources. That it was either from God or it was from Satan. They would never admit that it was from God. So what's their only option? He casts out demons by the power of Satan. This was their position. This was the position they adopted. This is what they began to tell people. This is the news they began to spread. He's doing all these miraculous things by the power of Satan. You know what's interesting? Even the demons who Jesus cast out knew better than that. You remember when he cast out demons, they would say, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now, they hated him, but they didn't try to deny who he was. But these religious leaders are so hard-hearted. They're, they're so set against Jesus, no matter what happens, they are not going to admit that he has the power of God. Why? Well, Jesus tells us why in Luke chapter 11, verse 20. This is when He says to these same scribes, He tells them, If I cast out demons by the finger of God, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And they would never admit that Jesus was the true Savior and Christ who is ushering in the kingdom of God. They hated Him and they were never going to admit that. And if they acknowledged His power was from God, they would have no choice but to admit who He really was. You see what I mean when I talk about refusing to believe the truth about who Jesus is? That's what they had done. They refused to believe the truth. No matter how clear the evidence was, they were going to reject it willfully, purposefully, persistently. But Jesus goes on to show how absolutely ridiculous their argument is. Well, he, he casts out demons by the power of demons. Verse 23. Jesus called them to himself, began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. Jesus is just giving plain common sense here. Why in the world would Satan attack himself? Why would Satan use his power against his own forces? That's like an army turning against themselves and killing each other. They have no hope in the battle if they're going to fight each other. It doesn't even make good sense. That's what he means when he says a house. He doesn't mean literally like a place where you live, but a house like a dynasty. If a king's army, his forces begin to fight against himself, that's the end of his dynasty. I mean, this doesn't need to be explained. It's common sense. If you've got a football team and they're going after each other, then the other team can do anything they want to, run up and down the field. So Jesus is just pointing out logic. For Satan to cast out Satan is just ridiculous. That's, and he'd be defeating himself. But now watch what he says in verse 27. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then will plunder his house. I want you to catch what Jesus is saying here. He's picturing Satan as a strong man. Picturing his house or his kingdom. And he's saying the only way to plunder Satan's kingdom, to do damage to his kingdom, to take away from his kingdom, is to bind him. This is what Jesus is saying. The reason I'm able to plunder the kingdom of Satan is because I have overpowered Satan. The reason he's able to to cast out demons and take away those people. You see, those demon-possessed people are people that Satan had captured to control them for his own purposes. Jesus essentially reaches into Satan's kingdom and snatches these people out. How can he do this? Because he has overpowered the kingdom of Satan. This is the point I want you to see. Jesus wasn't empowered by Satan. He came to overthrow Satan. Are you with me? Jesus came to overthrow the kingdom of Satan. He came to establish the kingdom of God and overthrow the kingdom of Satan. Let me give you a couple of verses. 1 John 3, verse 8. 
the Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2.15 Whom God disarmed the rulers and authorities. That is the spiritual evil forces. It says God disarmed them, made them a public display, having triumphed over them through Christ. Through Christ, God disarmed, defeated all evil authorities. The Son of God came, it says, to defeat, destroy the works of the devil. That's what Jesus is saying. Satan's not going to fight against himself. That would be to defeat himself. The truth is, I have come, overpowered his kingdom, to overthrow him and establish the kingdom of God. Are you with me? But here you have some people who absolutely refuse to believe the truth about Jesus. The truth is, he wasn't empowered by Satan. He'd come to overthrow Satan. That was clear for anybody who witnessed his works to see. But they refused to believe it. And Jesus tells us the result here in the text. Beginning in verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But he is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is what we refer to as the unpardonable sin. What is the unpardonable sin? Well, let's think about what these men did. They saw the miraculous works that Jesus did, Jesus casting out demons, healing people. And they said He did it by the power of Satan. In reality, Jesus did it by the power of the Holy Spirit who was in Him. So what they were essentially saying is, the Holy Spirit is satanic or demonic. You with me? It was the Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus to do those works. They said it was the devil. So they essentially called the Holy Spirit the devil. Demonic. And Jesus said, this is a sin for which there will never be forgiveness. Now, I need you to understand this. This is not a sin that you can commit in the way they did. Why? Because these are people who had witnessed Jesus' works, had saw what He did and said, that's Satan. Well, Jesus isn't here anymore. You can't witness His works with your eyes and then say that's satanic. You can't do exactly what they did. What you could do, however, is to get to the place where they committed such a sin, why would they do such a horrible thing? Because they absolutely refused to acknowledge and admit who Jesus was. You could do that too. You could become so hardened against the gospel that you refuse to acknowledge the truth about who Jesus is. You refuse to admit the truth about who Jesus is. No matter what the evidence is, no matter how many times you've heard it, no matter how clear it is, you say, no. I don't believe that's who He is. I will not accept that. Listen to me. When you get to that place 
the possibility of forgiveness is gone. Because you have hardened yourself against the only one who can bring forgiveness to you. The only way you can be commit a sin that's unforgivable is if you go to your grave with a heart that has become hardened against Jesus and has persistently, purposely refused to accept Him for who He is. Those who refuse to believe the truth about Jesus will never have forgiveness. But here's the second part of that first point, and I want you to see this. But those who do believe have total forgiveness. There's such a wonderful part of verse 28 that we get so enamored with the unforgivable sin, we go right past this. Look at verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Do you catch that? For those who don't reject Jesus, for those who do see who He is and believe it and embrace it and follow Him, how many sins will be forgiven? All of them. All of them. A-L-L. All of them. Every lie. Every lustful thought. Every prideful Action, every jealousy, every anger, every hurtful word, you're all of it gone. If you'll see Jesus for who he really is and embrace the truth about him. So the good news is today, in a room like this, you are not people who have rejected the truth about who Jesus is or you wouldn't be here. Now, there may be somebody here who's not truly saved, but you have not rejected the truth about Jesus. You're at least in a place that intellectually you would say you believe Jesus is the Son of God. That means there's yet hope for you. You, you haven't been hardened to the place that you refuse to acknowledge who He is. And for everybody who acknowledges who he is in reality, the truth about him, the obvious truth, he's the son of God who's come to defeat Satan and establish the kingdom of God. For those who are willing to see it and believe it, all sins are forgiven. Total forgiveness. I got to move on or I'm going to get back that 20 minutes all at one shot. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Here's the second lesson I want us to learn from these verses. Those who don't do God's will by following Jesus are not His true family. Those who follow Jesus are His true family. Let me say that again. Those who don't do God's will by following Jesus are not His true family. Those who follow Jesus are His true family. Look at verse 21. His own people heard, they heard that he had come back to Galilee, to Capernaum. They went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. Verse 21 says his own people had come to take custody of him. Who is that? Well, if you look at verse 32, 
31 rather, you find out it's his mother and his brothers. It's his family. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but there's something interesting about these verses. They begin telling a story of Jesus' family. And they end telling a story of Jesus' family. But in the middle, we're told this story about the religious folk calling Jesus demon-possessed. Why does he break up this story? In other words, he begins with one story, then he leaves that story, tells another story, and then he comes back at the end and finishes the other story, like a sandwich. You see what I'm saying? Mark does that a lot. And there's a reason. He wants us to use the story in the middle to help us interpret the story at the beginning and the end. In other words, the story about Jesus' family calling him crazy, we're supposed to interpret that in light of what these other religious folks have done. They've called him demon-possessed. And what Mark wants us to see is what Jesus' family is saying about him is just as evil. They're calling him crazy. Look what it says. They went to take custody of him, for they were saying he's lost his senses. It literally means he is outside of himself. They think he's lost his mind. And it says they went to take custody of him. This is a word that's used of people being arrested. I mean, they're going to take hold of him and haul him away back to Nazareth, back to his home. Why? Because they think he's gone crazy. Why would they come to the place where they believe he's nuts? Because he's causing all this trouble with the religious leaders. He's having all this controversy with these religious folks. He's stirring up all this, in their mind, he's stirring up all this trouble. And there's really two things going on here. Mary, who is his mother, she knows he's the Son of God. But probably she's concerned about his welfare. She's worried what they're going to do to him. So she wants to get him and get him out of there. His brothers, well, they didn't believe in him. The New Testament tells us they didn't believe in him. Now, after he rose from the dead, they did believe in him. But at this point, they didn't. And what was the issue for them? It was embarrassing to the family. It was a shame on the family. He's causing all this trouble. He's stirring up such a ruckus. And so they think, we got to get him out of here. Get him out of the public spotlight, so to speak. So they go to get him. And they show up at the house where Jesus is. Verse 32, a crowd sitting around him said, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. They'd come to get him. I want you to notice what it says in verse 32. Your mother and your brothers are outside. Now, this is telling us physically where they were. They couldn't get to Jesus. Remember verse 20 says, There was such a crowd, you, you, they couldn't even eat. They couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. 
But when Mark says they were outside, that's physical description, but it's also metaphorical. They were not part of Jesus' inner circle. They were outsiders. Look what he says. Verse 33, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who are sitting around him, his disciples. He said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus said, those who do the will of God are my true family. Now, what do we mean by do the will of God? In context, this is what we mean. It means to believe the gospel that Jesus is preaching about who he is and why he came and to obey him. This is the people who were following him. They heard him preach the truth and they said, yes, I believe. And they attached himself to him. They believe him and they obey him and they follow him. He said, these people are my true family. And what he says about his biological, physical family. No, no, my true family are those who follow me. Now, Jesus is not saying he hates his family. Jesus loves his family. But he's giving priority to his spiritual family. He's saying, my real family are those who follow me. And what he's trying to say is, you're not truly my family if you don't believe me and obey me. You see, what was his family trying to do? I don't know if you think about this. They were trying to distract him from his mission. You, you get it? They were coming to get him, to take him back to Nazareth. If they had their way, they would take him away. But Jesus was, had come to do the will of God. Twice in the Bible, the Father speaks from heaven and said about Jesus, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was doing the will of God. And John, Jesus said, I always do the things that please Him. We know the Bible says He was without sin, which means He always did the will of God. Jesus had come to do the will of God. That's why He said, those who do the will of God are my family. I'm here to do the will of God, and those who are truly my family are those who are with me and seeking to do the will of God. Those who would take me away from doing the will of God, those who would pull me away from doing the will of God are not really my family. Now catch this. Jesus is saying this about his closest people, his biological family. If you don't truly follow me, it doesn't matter how close in proximity you are to me. You are not my true family. These were his relatives he said this about. And here is a warning if there ever was a warning. You can be close enough to Jesus to even be related to him and still be an outsider. Judas was one of the twelve, and he was an outsider. The true family of God are those who believe and follow Jesus.
and here's something you need to hear. You can grow up right in the middle of Christianity and all of its trappings. The songs and the sermons and Sunday school and all that go along with it. You can grow up right in the middle of all of it, surrounded by all of it, and still be an outsider. You can have some close proximity to Jesus but still not be in the family of God. Because the family of God is made up of those who sit at the feet of Jesus in sweet fellowship with Him and who give themselves to follow Him. That's who the family of God is. You can, you can get as close to all the religion, as close as you possibly want to, and still be on the outside. Or well, there's a warning if we ever needed one. But for those who do the will of God by embracing Jesus, sitting at His feet in sweet fellowship, and following Him in obedience, for those who have done that, for those who truly, truly follow Jesus, you are family. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. You are part of the family of God. You have been adopted into the family of God. You've been made a joint heir with Jesus. That means you will share with Jesus in what He inherits. What does Jesus inherit? Everything. All of it. And as part of the family of God, we share in that. But that's only for those who follow Him. Can you see what I was talking about when I began this morning? How Jesus is beginning to draw a line that separates His true family his true followers, those who are in the kingdom from everybody else, even those who seem to be close to Jesus. Can you see he's beginning to differentiate between the insiders and those who are outsiders? Well, what a perfect opportunity for you today to examine yourself. To see if you're truly an insider. Have you really submitted to Jesus and given your life, not to just say, I believe in Him, but have you really surrendered your life and submitted your life to follow Him in obedience? Notice what Jesus said, My true family are those who do the will of God. Have you come to the place where your believing is more than just thinking, it's turned into doing, and you demonstrate by your life that you're a follower of Jesus, that's who's insider. That's who's part of the family of God. Take a minute and look at yourself. Is that you? Or are you like some of Jesus' relatives? You got close proximity to Jesus. You grew up around Jesus. But the reality is you're still on the outside.
Listen, hear what the Word of God is saying to us today. Only those who see Jesus for who He really is and follow Him are forgiven of sin and made a part of His family. Let's pray.